Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Listen, we're uh, in our second week uh, on a series uh, that uh, is on unity. It's a series called One. I'm sorry that we didn't have slides working uh, last week. Um, the reason we're doing this is because we live in kind of angry times. Has anybody noticed? <laughs> we live in times when people are, are, are really wrestling with keeping civil with one another and having uh, discussions that are healthy about, uh, about important issues. Start on the front end of it uh, with identifying the things that really unite us, the things that really bring us together, the things that are really at the core of Christian theology. Um, there are things that we need to argue about in the church. There are things that we need, we want to focus on the center of Christianity, and I'm not saying we need to ignore all the rest, uh, but what I'm saying is that so much of the arguing and, uh, and disagreement that's going on online is actually happening, happening in my opinion, um, in a way that isn't safe, in a way that isn't secure, because uh, the people who are arguing aren't necessarily standing on firm and strong Christian-centric theological foundations. Um, if you can uh, just sort of imagine it, um, you could be standing and having a discussion, you know, wearing sensible shoes and, and standing on the rock, and you can have a discussion with somebody that's really solid and healthy and good when you know that you're highly committed to the same thing, when you're highly committed to the same principles, when you have a common understanding of the gospel and what Jesus means to you and what's going on. But the reality is, is that the church simply isn't grounded in North America, and the arguments that we're having seem to me like they're happening on very shaky ground, shifting sand, by people wearing roller skates with sequins on them. <laughs> and people, you can be in that argument, and you could see people fall down, you see relationships broken, you see people hurt, and you see people just skate away and division happening in the church in a way that it just doesn't have to. We're meant to be grounded on the same things. We're meant to have these difficult discussions, but have them uh, from a place of security in the gospel. Uh, last week we looked at Paul's teaching in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 to 6, and we began to unpack a mini creed within the epistles. Um, I think you'll see it on the screen there. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. And what we said last week, and what's remarkable about this passage, is that it's actually, uh, if you look at the seven ones there, seven is an important number for a Hebrew author uh, like Paul. It's a number of completeness. Paul has really put together something that became identified by the early church as an early formulation of the creed. Um, you can see it on the screen uh, there, one body. This is Paul's over here on this side. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. The latter formulations of the creeds uh, just basically began at the beginning of the story. What Paul was doing was building us from a healthy body down to a firm foundation. Uh, the ancient creeds that we see uh, written by the church start with, you know, God our Father, um, one baptism, one faith, and they build on that. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to go through this uh, kind of line by line, verse by verse over the next several weeks and just get ourselves grounded um, as Paul was. 
And if you look at this, this is really just the Christian story, isn't it? Uh, We start with an understanding of God, our Father. We understand as people, we first acknowledge the reality of God and who he is, and we acknowledge his holiness and his majesty. And we come to acknowledge our need for Christ, our need for repentance, our need for baptism. Uh, We come to find that we have one faith uh, in Jesus Christ. Our faith is not based on our works, but on what Jesus did for us on the cross. We find that we have one Lord, the resurrected Christ, the one who is risen from the grave and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We find that we have one hope that that ascended Jesus is soon returning and coming to judge the world and deliver us. And then we find that we've been given in the book of Acts one spirit that dwells within us. And all of that makes us one body. And so Paul is unifying the church by walking us through that progression. Again, Paul's writing is always very dense and very deep, and we get to unpack it. Um, But what we want to start today is with that God and Father of us all, and I want to zero it in even a little further uh, than that to this phrase at the end, one God and Father of us all, who is over all, who is through all, and who is in all. And again, Paul, in his incredibly dense way of writing, is here giving us a a picture of the Trinity. The God, the Father, who is over us. Uh, The Son, the story of what he's done in the cross uh, that binds us together, that unites us, that is through us, that pierces us. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Paul has this incredible, and it's just this one verse just packs together this incredible creed and this incredible formulation of the Trinity. And what we want to do this week is sort of think about what that means as people to live in relationship to a God who is over us, to live with Christ, the truth of whom is through each one of us, and the spirit that dwells within us. And what does that understanding of our relationship to a God who is over us, through us, and in us do to affect our posture towards one another as we look to be a united body. So the truth that we're anchoring ourselves around with this message is that we are united in some very, very powerful ways around a very powerful God that's completely beyond our control, that's completely beyond us and above us, and that the things that divide us are relatively insignificant to that power and that glory and that majesty of that God. So there's a question for you. Do you feel today, do you realize that, do you recognize it, that your life, your decisions, your choices, where you go to church, who you spend your time with, uh, what you think about, what you research, what you're invested in, do you recognize that all of those things are subordinate to the reality of who God is. Do you recognize that? Are you conscious that the reality of who the triune God is means that you are deeply, powerfully, irrevocably connected to something much bigger? That's our status. That's what we are. We are a people who are ants on a log. (laughs) People connected to a very, very big God. And so what we're going to learn is that as uh, the Father who is over us forces us to live in a place of brotherhood with our spiritual siblings, having the Son through us speaks to a bond uh, that should 
um, be protected and that should be very, very difficult, if not impossible, for us to break without desperately hurting and wounding ourselves as human beings. And that having a spirit who is in us caused to live with a common dependence on him for direction and for power to do anything at all that we're called to do in life. So, let's talk about Father over us. Uh, this one, of course, is the easiest to describe, but it is in very many ways the hardest one to live out and live in the reality of. We don't do well with acknowledging that anybody is over us as human beings, do we? We like our autonomy uh, very much. Um, but what we want to do is see that this God that we sang about early, who is, earlier, who is loving and who is tender and who is kind, is absolutely large and in charge and king of the universe. And we just want to walk through that for a moment in the scriptures. He has made the universe and he is in charge of it and it exists for his glory. And we're just going to hit some uh, ideas and concepts uh, here as we blast through the scriptures. In Nehemiah 9, 6, it says this, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give to life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. The multitudes of heaven worship you. His authority over creation extends to the authorities that he has established within creation. Colossians 3.16 For by him all things were created in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or prime ministers or princes or presidents. All things were created through him and for him. Romans 13.1, let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He has absolute moral authority. Uh, that stems from his nature. That stems from who he is. We see that in the book of Romans. As Paul says, no man, no woman has an excuse for disobedience because it is obvious from creation who God is in Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal, e eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The God we serve uses the language of obedience unapologetically. The one who obeys me is the one who loves me, Jesus says in John 14.21. And when he commissions us to go into all the world, he doesn't commission us to just make an invitation. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Matthew 18, 18 to 20. He demands that obedience and he claims the right to discipline his children when they're disobedient. He counts himself wronged when we disobey him. He counts himself wronged when we hurt one another. We are utterly dependent on him 
for grace and forgiveness and for correction. In Hebrews 12, uh, 5 to 6, and this is echoed in Proverbs 11, uh, or sorry, Proverbs 3, 11 to 12, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises or chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Responsibility that we are accountable for. And if we are in any doubt at all that we're accountable for how we act, we ought to look at the life of Jesus and see how he, the Son of God, lived in obedience to the word of his Father. Because we're following him in John chapter 419. The Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. In John 14, 31, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. We are accountable to him. We are living under one authority that unites us. And if you want to understand how living under that authority that unites us, look at any uh, military organization or structure in the world and see the camaraderie that happens simply even between soldiers. Soldiers who have been through the same basic training, soldiers who uh, serve under the same commander, uh, they become brothers. Uh, a, a general is a friend, his peers are generals. A sergeant, his peers are sergeants. And a private, his peers are privates. And I want to make sure that you understand and I understand who we are in God's army. We're all the privates. Right? We are all the privates, and there is a, a hierarchy of heavenly hosts uh, that serves Jesus above us. Amen. We are beloved by the Father. But make no mistake, He's large and in charge. And that is meant to cause us to look at one another with a lot more humility than we sometimes do to look at one another as brothers and sisters. And this is one of the remarkable things about Jesus, how he constituted his church and how he talked about his disciples. He took people who were from every tribe and tongue and nation and said, hey, you, you're siblings. You are all siblings. So here, is, there, is this just a question for us to think through application? Is there any chance that you and I have been living um, as though uh, we are under no one's command at all except our own? Isn't that how we live? Uh, 95% of our life is driven by our own wants and desires. And maybe 5% of the leftovers is what we give to Christ most of the time. But that does not reflect the reality that we live in. Living under a God who is supreme and powerful and sovereign over us. 95, 100% of how we ought to weight our decisions ought to start with him. And so that's the little challenge for this week, for this uh, thought of living under a God that is over us, is will you take just a few moments every day when you do your devotional and when you pray, and will you just ask the Lord, would you cause me to read this, read these scriptures, read this beautiful word as a person under authority? Will you cause me to read this, not as a person in authority over the book looking for the thing that I want, but a person under the authority of the book Asking it, what does it want from me? Asking, what does your father want from you? That's just a challenge. So not only are we not under the father, 
but we are united by the truth of the Son, the truth of who Jesus is, and our dependence on the cross. That is something that runs through us. This word through that we see uh, in the text here in the Greek, it's a very common word. It's the word dia. But what it means is uh, to be uh, completely dispersed. It means to be completely it means to be, and this is actually language that I, that, I, that I really loved in one of the definitions that I saw. It means that it is something that pierces completely without itself being changed. There's something about God, something about Jesus, something about his word, something about who he is that pierces through us, that remains unchanged, that remains the same regardless of what we think about it. It unites us and it binds us together. And we see Paul actually reflecting this in Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Uh, the reality of our need for the cross and the reality of the story of that and the story of the resurrection is whether you are a Christian uh, in South Africa or in India. It is true whether you are a Christian in China or Japan or Southeast Asia. It is true uh, whether you are a Christian uh, in living in Jerusalem or whether you're an Arab Christian living in the West Bank. It is true uh, in any of the countries of Europe that have been competing and warring uh, for centuries. It is true in France, England, Germany, Italy, Holland, Spain. It is true in the southern United States in Trump country and it is true on the coast in New York and California. The truth of the cross extends through the entire body of Christ. And if we do anything to remove ourselves and move ourselves from those truths, it destroys us as people. And we find ourselves so often, so often focusing our identity on things that aren't those central truths of the gospel. We find ourselves uh, chasing butterflies, uh, panicking about social issues, uh, panicking about forces in society, and fighting against the truth of the reality of the power of the gospel that is a spear that cuts right through us, through every one of us. We are literally skewered by the truth of the gospel. You'll see an image on the screen. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever seen that old show, um, Grey's Anatomy. Um, but early on, when it was first on, we, we, I think we were living in New Brunswick. It's been on for a long, long time. Uh, but we would watch it occasionally. And one of the most compelling episodes was the episode of a train wreck. And in that train wreck, there were these two characters, Bonnie and Tom, who were skeered by one of the poles uh, on the train. And here's a picture of Bonnie and Tom. Uh, they've got a, one of the handrails from the train that's piercing through both their bodies. A lot of the show unfolds, it's clear that uh, they can't operate on Bonnie and Tom. If one of them panics, they have to keep them calm. If one of them panics, their movement causes pain not only in themselves and further injury not only to their own bodies, but causes injury to the person that they're across from. And in order to operate on them and to try to save them, 
that pole has to be removed, but the removal of that pole will cause them to bleed out and die. That's the tragic reality for Bonnie and Tom. But it's a visceral uh, picture of the beautiful and glorious reality of us in the church. There is something about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us on the cross that if we get distracted and chase butterflies, if we fight it and we uh, rail against the power of this story, our need for the gospel, our need for the forgiveness of sins, our need for resurrection power, if we fight this in our lives and try to live a different way, if we take ideologies and beliefs that are contrary to the gospel, if we take something like the substitutionary atonement of Christ and say, hey, I don't want to believe that one anymore. I don't like it. It just makes God sound mean. What do I do with that? I'm just going to believe something else. If we disturb the truths of the gospel and try to remove them from the center of who we are, we as people will bleed out and die. of the gospel at the very center of who we are and to hold them still and to cherish them and to anchor our lives in them and to find our unity in them. So here's the question for us. Can we for a moment with so many distractions around, so much to worry about, so much to panic about, so many news stories to read, so many Facebook posts to be concerned about. Can we take a moment, maybe take a week, and lay aside the media, lay aside YouTube, lay aside whatever it is, and will you go uh, to the story in the book, uh, in the Gospels, the story of Jesus, and just read through there, and just pour through there? Will you read the story of the God who was sacrificed for you, who died on the cross for your sins, who was resurrected to new life. Will you anchor yourself again in the story of the gospel? Don't move from it. Don't fight it. Don't chase butterflies. Don't panic about social issues. Anchor yourself in the truth of the gospel and let yourself be renewed and let yourself be made whole and let yourself come to peace. So not only do we have a father who is over us and a son who the truth of him and who he is is through us, we have his Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. I want to just read three key texts uh, from uh, the scriptures about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and just share a little bit about them super briefly. Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This is a promise to Ezekiel about us. I will put my spirit inside of you. And it will cause you to walk in my statutes to live in a different way, to make practical daily decisions that reflect the reality of the one who lives inside of us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 
I'm going to unpack these in just a sec. Romans 8, 11. But the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And what's fascinating about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, uh, this being who hovered over the waters of the earth, over the chaos before creation, uh, this being who uh, <laughs> lives in unity with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and has done so from the beginning of time, this thing that is some people, described by some people as some ethereal spiritual thing that is somehow out there like the force, this thing is a person, not a thing, who lives and dwells inside of you. And the reality of that spiritual being that lives inside of you is that he desires very much to affect not just your spiritual existence, but in all of these cases that we've looked at, affect your bodily existence, your physical way of being. Uh, let's look at these. Ezekiel 36, the spirit isn't just dwelling there, hanging out with you uh, for you to enjoy, like kicking it back, right? He is there to cause you to walk in God's statutes and ordinances. He wants to cause you to walk in a different way. He wants to cause you to act a different way. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.